You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now, a message from Cyberbit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need Cyberbit. Cyberbit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills. All using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. Cyberbit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. Log4Shell is exploited by criminals and intelligence services. Private sector offensive cyber capabilities are on par with nation states. Noberis ransomware is used in double extortion attacks. Malek Ben Salem from Accenture looks at cyber twins. Our guest is Tom Kellerman from VMware with reactions to CISA's binding operational directive. And Squid Game Fishbait. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Thursday, December 16th, 2021. Deetsight, in a long and glum piece on the implications of the log for shell vulnerability, points out that the term affected can be ambiguous, particularly when it appears in phrases like not affected. What counts as affected? It's not necessarily synonymous with attacked, breached, or even vulnerable. If you've had to devote time and resources to inventorying your software for a specific vulnerability, there's a sense in which you've been affected, even if at the end of it all you've found nothing. There have been reports of log-for-shell exploitation by both gangs and intelligence services. The crooks and spies have been up and at them this week. Haaretz reports, citing sources at Checkpoint, that Iranian operators had by yesterday sought to compromise seven Israeli governmental and commercial targets using log-for-shell exploits. Both Microsoft and Mandiant have warned of Chinese and Iranian exploitation of the vulnerability, The Wall Street Journal sums up, adding that Microsoft also reports seeing North Korean and Turkish attempts to take advantage of Log4J. The Chinese embassy in Washington told the journal that they're opposed to cyber attacks of any kind. The embassy also pointed out that it was a Chinese company that first discovered the issue and disclosed it to Apache. In fairness to Beijing, they're right about that second point. Alibaba's cloud security team found and reported the problem on November 24th. In some respects, however, nation-state exploitation seems almost a case of a dog not barking. The journal quotes CrowdStrike's senior vice president of intelligence Adam Myers to that effect, quote, 
It's a surprise it's not more widespread. The question that everyone is asking is, what aren't we seeing? End quote. Mandiant also expects to see more nation-state exploitation. Quote, we expect threat actors from additional countries will exploit it shortly, if they haven't already. In some cases, state-sponsored threat actors will work from a list of prioritized targets that existed long before this vulnerability was known. In other cases, they may conduct broad exploitation and then conduct further post-exploitation activities of targets as they are tasked to do so. End quote. And one of those dogs that's not obviously barking? Well, not dogs, but in this case, bears. Russian state actors, BGR observes, are noticeably not being mentioned in dispatches. Google's Project Zero concludes that companies are now able to develop offensive cyber capabilities once thought to be within reach of only a few nation-states. In their recently published research into NSO Group Pegasus Exploits, Project Zero writes, quote, Based on our research and findings, we assess this to be one of the most technically sophisticated exploits we've ever seen, further demonstrating that the capabilities NSO provides rival those previously thought to be accessible to only a handful of nation-states. And it's not just Apple products. Quote, Citizen Lab was able to recover these Pegasus exploits from an iPhone, and therefore this analysis covers NSO's capabilities against iPhone. We are aware that NSO sells similar zero-click capabilities which target Android devices. End quote. They haven't got any Android samples, but maybe you do. Quote, Project Zero does not have samples of these exploits, but if you do, please reach out. End quote. Project Zero worked on a sample of NSO Group's forced entry tool obtained by Citizen Lab in the course of its investigation of a zero-click iMessage exploit used earlier this year against a Saudi activist. Apple's Security Engineering and Architecture Group cooperated with Project Zero on the technical analysis. Symantec has an update on Alf v. Black Cat Ransomware Group, in which the researchers describe the Nobaris ransomware the group's campaign uses. Nobaris, which exists in at least three versions, is unusual in that it's written in Rust. It's commonplace that it's in use in double extortion scams. IBM says that Squid Game remains popular fishbait, much used against fans of the Netflix series. IBM recommends that businesses address these campaigns with employee awareness training. ZDNet reports that Amazon Web Services experienced a brief disruption yesterday. Unlike last week's disruptions, which centered on AWS's U.S. East 1 region, yesterday's are said to have affected the U.S. West 1 and 2 regions. The AWS Service Health dashboard this morning shows all North American services operating normally. French police have arrested a man on charges related to laundering more than 19 million euros in ransomware payments, according to the record. The U.S. Federal Reserve is moving in many areas of monetary policy, but yesterday Federal Reserve Chairman Jerome Powell told CNBC that cyber attack represented the most significant threat to financial stability. And finally, to return briefly to log for shell it's worth noting that many official bodies have issued warnings and guidance on it. Among those is the U.S. Federal Bureau of Investigation. If you've been hit by a log for shell exploit, they'd like to hear about it, 
and your input will be a contribution to intelligence concerning the way the vulnerability is being exploited. They'll also render assistance insofar as their resources permit. As the Bureau puts it, quote, As always, we stand ready to assist any impacted entities. End quote. Now, we know the Internet, and we know the sort of social media funsters who inhabit its infosec precincts. I mean, when even NSA's cybersecurity boss is vamping with funny Karen and cat memes about the pronunciation of Log4J, well, it's just a barrel of monkeys out there. By the way, very funny, Mr. Joyce. But please, don't pester the FBI to tell them that your impacted entities include your wisdom teeth or your colon— We know, we know, LOL, even roll full and LMAO, but come on, you don't need mad hermeneutical skills to get that the Bureau means organizations or natural persons affected by log-for-shell exploitation and not teeth or sections of your GI tract. They're not in the tooth-pulling or constipation relief business, so get serious, kids. We're looking at you, InfoSec boys and girls. Sometimes impacted is even more ambiguous than affected. Alice Klar, Air Commissar. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. And now a word from our sponsor, Sixth Sense. Sixth Sense provides award-winning cloud-based automated endpoint and vulnerability management solutions to streamline IT and security operations. With its advanced platform, businesses gain complete visibility and control over their infrastructure, reducing IT and security risks, and optimizing operational efficiency. With Sixth Sense, you'll get real-time alerts, risk-based vulnerability prioritization and remediations, and an intuitive automation and orchestration engine so you can focus on your core business goals. Confident in the knowledge that your enterprise is secure, compliant, and running smoothly. To learn why enterprises choose Sixth Sense, visit SixthSense.com. CISA Director Jen Easterly recently issued a binding operational directive titled Reducing the Significant Risk of Known Exploited Vulnerabilities. 
The directive mandates that federal agencies mitigate vulnerabilities in their networks and is one of the first actions taken by CISA's newly formed Joint Cyber Defense Collaborative. Tom Kellerman is head of security strategy at VMware, one of the private sector members of the Joint Cyber Defense Collaborative. It's historic. Uh, It's game-changing. It's a recognition uh, by CISA that U.S. federal agencies as a whole, as well as their partners, must harden their systems because, frankly, the last year has really been the the year of the zero-day exploit. And more and more often than not, these systems are successfully penetrated by these exploits uh, that have been developed by the four rogue nation states uh, who manifest much of the cyber attacks against the U.S., So in your estimation, what happens next? How are the various uh, agencies throughout the federal government going to react and respond to this? Well, they have 60 days, according to the directive, and and hopefully they are automating their vulnerability management processes and hardening those systems as we speak. Frankly, you know, the United States is dealing with an insurgency in American cyberspace, one that has been stoked uh, by rogue nation states, but more importantly, one that is facilitated by the lack of hardening of those critical systems. When you think about the various government agencies, are, is there at all a situation of kind of haves and have-nots? Are there, are there going to be certain agencies that are better prepared to, to take this on than others? Yes. I mean, some agencies are more sophisticated and have more capability as well as manpower than others. That being said, vulnerability management should be something that the majority of federal agencies should be able to pursue and achieve uh, without great consequence um, or disruption to operations for that matter. You know, this directive really is a seminal action taken by CISA, but more importantly, it's the first action taken with the Joint Cyber Defense Collaborative, of which VMware is a proud member and partner. Yeah, let's talk about that a little bit. I mean, what what does VMware bring to the table, and and why is this something that you all want to be a part of? It's our commitment to civilizing and securing American cyberspace. You know, we're one of 15 companies that were asked to join because we we literally have created the, the fabric um, by which many critical infrastructures are dependent upon, uh, from vSphere all the way through Horizon, all the way through Workspace ONE. Uh, we realize that we are responsible for, for securing our own environment, but also assisting the federal government in securing theirs. And I think the JCDC is an unprecedented group that is responsible for sharing information with one another, but also collaborating in the fight against not only exploit code and vulnerabilities, but the fight against ransomware, which has become pandemic, per se, in American cyberspace. What do you hope that things will look like on the other side of this? You know, six months from now, after this has had some time to take effect and settle in, where do you suppose we'll be? Well, hopefully hardening government systems will allow us to get a leg up on an adversary that's burrowed in uh, over the past few years and allow us to begin to conduct proactive cyber threat hunting and and really push back and contain um, this type of insurgency that has been ongoing within uh, federal infrastructure as well as corporate America's infrastructure. You know, the first step in securing systems in cyberspace is a recognition that, you know, 100% prevention is not possible, but there are some basic tenets of cyber hygiene that must be followed in order to prevent these types of infections. And part of that is really hardening those systems against exploitable vulnerabilities. You know, you mentioned that the, the Joint Cyber Defense Collaborative is really a new effort and, and potentially a game changer here. How so? How, how is this really uh, set up to, to really move the needle? 
Well, you know, Director Easterly challenged the private sector, particularly the the major players, uh, technology players in the private sector, to demonstrate commitment to securing American cyberspace and also to securing their own systems from attack, given that they provide the majority of technology, infrastructure, and fabric to to the majority of corporations and and federal agencies. Uh, We proudly join that to show our commitment in that regard to show how we will share information with the government related to vulnerabilities, how we will do a better job of fighting ransomware, uh, both against our customer base, but also generically the landscape. And I really think it's it's a, one of the more significant public-private partnerships that's ever been established uh, to secure cyberspace. Yeah, it really strikes me that, um, you know, this is an effort where uh, private organizations, certainly, who day-to-day might be competitors with each other, when the call was put out, they agree to, to join together for a common cause. Exactly that. Uh, we recognize and appreciate our responsibility to help secure uh, the greater cyberspace of the United States and also to work with and collaborate with our competitors, as well as the U.S. government, to do just that. That's Tom Kellerman from VMware. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And I'm pleased to be joined once again by Malek Ben-Salem. She's the Technology Research Director for Security at Accenture. Malek, it is always great to have you back. Uh, I wanted to touch base with you today on a publication that you and your colleagues uh, have put out in the world, and it's called Cyber Digital Twins, and it has to do with security vision. What can you share with us today? Thank you, Dave. Uh, Yeah, the Security Vision is a publication that the Cyber Lab publishes every year. And this year, the focus was on cyber digital twins. Now, let me start by defining what a digital twin is uh, for our listeners. So digital twin is basically a virtual representation that serves as the real-time digital counterpart of a physical object or process. Hmm. Now, uh, this concept has been, you know, introduced you know, a long time ago, but uh, practically, uh, I think the first practical definition of a digital twin originated from NASA when they were attempting to improve the physical model simulation of uh, spacecraft in 2010. But today, with, you know, the uh, proliferation of IoT devices, um, of uh, smart manufacturing, of devices for uh, augmented reality, this concept is uh, gaining notoriety. You know, that's the digital twin. Along with that, the cyber digital twins started to emerge. And what exactly is that? 
Yeah, so cyber digital twins allow um, you know security professionals basically to create uh, that digital replica of every system of every machine or IoT device. And that replica can be used for the simulation of cyber attacks, for vulnerability exploitations, etc., to detect any potential threats before the physical device leaves the production line. And the same concept can be extended to, uh, you know, environments where we have smart manufacturing, for instance, or in, uh, you know, resources companies for smart drilling or any other capabilities that uh, have those types of uh, functionalities. Hmm. Well, help me understand here. So is this, uh, for example, if I'm a manufacturer of some IoT device, is this a way of me basically running simulations before I send this out into the world? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, So it helps, basically, um, it provides various benefits. Through that simulation, there is an abstraction that happens or, or, you know, there's an analysis of the firmware running on on the device that would have to happen. And then with that analysis, you can abstract the software running on that device and then start simulating cyber attacks um, against that uh, firmware. Are there any particular areas that this is best suited for? Yes. Uh, so as we mentioned, any smart device, smart manufacturing processes, those are probably the, uh, you know, the target um, or the best areas. Uh, but I think eventually uh, we'll see this proliferate as, as more of our systems, let's say OT processes, become more uh, AI enabled, I think we're going to see more use of, uh, you know, cyber digital twins there as well. Is there a safety component here as well? And I'm thinking in, in you know, manufacturing uh, plants, uh, you know, any of those heavy industrial kinds of places, this could be useful there. Yeah, um, uh, definitely. That, that will be another use case. Um, again, this capability, the simulation capability that uh, this technology allows is, is very beneficial, whether it's for cyber attacks or for, you know, uh, s- cyber attacks that have a, um, a safety implication. And so where do we stand now? Is this something that is still in the lab or is it uh, out there in the real, real world? What's the, the timeline for seeing more widespread use? Um, so the digital twin technology is being adopted. Again, through this publication, we've done some research and we've surveyed uh, a number of CISOs and technology executives. And many of them, around 60% or, or even higher, I don't have the exa- I don't recall the exact number, but, but they are, um, at least, you know, uh, using this technology, uh, somewhere within their enterprise. Uh, now, the cyber digital twins, that's an emerging technology that's, you know, very tightly linked to the digital twin, but it's, um, it's following soon after. And so I think we'll, we're going to see more adoption of that technology because it enables, you know, this simulation of, uh, of attacks. Uh, it basically empowers security teams, right, to predict uh, the attacks against these IoT devices or or these cyber physical devices, and um, obviously with that, it uh, you know it helps them scale, I guess, um, more. Uh, it helps them uh, cover more uh, more attacks. 
And I think one of the, the other main benefits, um, if you think about these manufacturing, or, or if you think about the designers of these smart devices, where they have to share IP or share, uh, or share the software and the firmware running on the device for another company to simulate and to assess and to test or, or to manufacture. Uh, by having a cyber digital twin abstract what's running on the device, they no longer have to share the, the IP itself, but they can share this model that's abstracting uh, what's running on the device, uh, thereby protecting their intellectual property. So they can get the advantage of uh, the simulation the, the, of the attacks, uh, without while protecting their intellectual property. Ah, I see. All right. Well, fascinating stuff for sure. Uh, the uh, publication is Cyber Digital Twins. Malek Ben Salem, thanks for joining us. And that's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. The Cyberwire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing Cyberwire team is Elliot Peltzman, Trey Hester, Brandon Karp, Eliana White, Haru Prakash, Justin Sabi, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI.